are you getting this isn't a priority at all from your prospects and deals that you're working or maybe prospects let you know that, hey, you know, we've decided to put this on hold or let's revisit this in 2024 or, you know, my CFO shot this down. If you're hearing this, you're, you're certainly not alone. But the initial discovery conversations, they can oftentimes go what feels like perfectly, right? You got a great champion and they supposedly have the budget. You send out the proposal and then crickets. You end up following up a bunch. You finally hear back from your champion and they give you one of the objections that I just shared. So if that's happening to you right now, you're definitely going to like this episode. Before we get into that, my name is Jason Bay. You're listening to Outbound Squad. And what I really care about doing is helping you turn complete strangers into paying customers. So if you're an account executive working deals and doing some prospecting, or you're an SDR that wants to be an account executive, you're definitely in the right place. So what we're going to talk about, this is an audio excerpt from a recent webinar that we did. It was a lot of fun. Uh, it's a solo episode. And what I did is I walked you through three data-backed discovery tactics so that you never lose deals for that reason again. So key number one that you're going to learn about is how to align to larger org-wide initiatives. So a Gartner study came out and they pulled a thousand plus B2B buyers that made, I believe it was billions of dollars of purchases. And they found that 93% of those purchases were identified as a result of a larger org-wide initiative. So in other words, they made this purchase because it aligned with an existing initiative. So if you can't attach to a larger goal than the individual's agenda, your deal's toast. So number two, quantify the cost of inaction. So 44% of deals end up lost to inaction due to the customer's preference for status quo. So that was a challenger study of 2.5 million sales calls. So if we cannot show the buying group that their status quo has a significant cost and that there is a cost of inaction, again, your deal's toast. And the third thing that we go through is how to lead the sales cycle and the sales process in multi-thread. This stat is just, I can't believe that this happens, but 78% of reps are single-threaded on deals according to LinkedIn. And it's the number one reason why most deals never gain traction. So if you cannot effectively both coach and work with your buyer to loop in additional stakeholders or do it yourself. If you're talking to someone that doesn't have the influence or willingness to do it, your deal is also toast. So we're going to go into those three things. I think you're really going to enjoy this one. If you enjoyed the episode today, I'd really appreciate it. One big favor that you could do me is leaving the show an honest rating or review on Spotify or Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to the show. And let's get to the I was going to say interview because that's how I'm normally interviewing people, but let, let's get to the solo episode. We're going to get started. So I got a question. What's the most trusted profession in North America? Let me know. Gallup did a big study. Let me know in the chat. What's the most trusted profession? We got nursing, doctors, firefighters. <laughs> Tim says president of the USA. Funeral directors, therapists, bartenders, all really good guesses here. So we got Garrett says not sales. And then Matt says salespeople, hairstylists. Uh, surprise, surprise. Sales is actually not number one. Just kidding. It is nurses. <laughs> physicians, grade school teachers, pharmacists, military officers. The reason why I bring this up is not to kind of poke fun at our profession, although it's uh, you know kind of fun, is I don't know if you guys have noticed, uh, I'm assuming many of you have a range of years that you've been selling, 
range of sales experience. There's probably a few people on here that are, have been doing it for a year or two or less, and maybe people that have been doing it for over a decade on this call, but the stats don't lie. You know, 68% of buyers do not describe sales as a trustworthy profession. And 58% of the sales meetings that buyers attend feel like they're not valuable. So we spend all of this effort trying to get meetings, which I talk a lot about outbound, if you guys have followed me. The meetings that we do get, they kind of regret showing up to them. And the first key idea that I want to share with you prior to us getting into the content today is that what we need to keep in mind is that every buyer shows up to sales calls with their bullshit detector fully charged and ready to go. They've been uh, either scammed, misled, promised something that didn't get delivered on, made a poor buying decision. And in sales, what's very interesting is that uh, we start from behind the uh, the starting line. Like it, we have an unfair, I, I can't think of any other profession, actually. I think lawyers maybe might be in this position, but people like think about most people don't have jobs where when they meet customers for the first time or prospective customers, they're like inherently skeptical of them and distrusting. I don't know if you guys have ever thought about that, but we are in a very, very hard profession. I think one of the things that we need to do as we get into the topic today around discovery is we need to take in consideration that uh, folks are super skeptical of any kind of claims that we make. They're skeptical of the people that they're talking to, a company's ability to deliver on what they promised. And a lot of the reps that I work with share a lot of these challenges. Let me know if you relate with any of these. Prospects, hey, when I hop on a call with them, they don't really want to open up and talk to me about a lot. Put the word me in the chat if you relate with any of this. Uh, the second thing I hear is, hey, I put a lot of work. I do multiple demos. I follow up. I do all of this work. And oftentimes, it doesn't really seem to get the deal any closer to closing. And the one I hear the most right now, you know, I kind of struggle because buyers keep telling me this is a nice to have, that they don't need this. Yeah, let me know. I see a bunch of you in the chat, Lexi, Ashley, Heather, Manuel. Let me know if you relate in the chat. What's up, Jason? So this is stuff that we're hearing a lot of right now. And what we really want and what we're going to talk about today is, hey, it'd be really nice if buyers opened up to us about their goals and the problems that they're having. Right? It'd be really nice if I felt confident that I, all this work I'm putting in is going to have some sort of payoff. And it'd be really nice if we could be a need to have instead of a nice to have. So that's what I want to walk you guys through today. My goal is to help you, one, build more credibility with your buyers, and two, lose fewer deals that you should have won. I'm going to break this up. I want to make this as interactive as possible. So if you got a question, there is a Q&A function in Zoom. Drop your question in there. That'll kind of segment it out of the chat so I can make sure to get to it. This is what we're going to cover today. So first thing I'm going to go into is insights. So this is the key. If you want to disarm a buyer early and get them talking, get them opening up, if you can teach them something, that's right, teach them something during a discovery conversation, not just pepper them with a bunch of questions. If, if they can walk away with something that they could use or implement with their team, that's going to have a great disarming effect. Uh, two, we're going to talk about value-based discovery. So what's the framework, kind of the high-level approach? And then three, I'm going to give you something really practical that you can use during discovery conversations. All right. So 
before we dig in, let me know in the chat, when you think about discovery conversations, so those intro calls, and we all know that discovery is not a call, right? Discovery is an act. It's something that you're doing throughout the sales cycle. But let me know in the chat, what's your biggest challenge when it comes to those discovery conversations right now? So think about, hey, I ask questions and buyers don't really open up. I have trouble quantifying the problem. I have trouble attaching to business priorities. Yeah, Joe says creating urgency. Let me know in the chat when it comes to discovery. This will help me kind of tailor the content for you guys today. Let me know. We got creating urgency, them wanting to see like what we can do for sure. Getting the true pain point and quantifying that pain point. Keep them coming. Yeah, a good chunk of our deals are outbound. Earning the right to ask questions, David says. That's a great one. So wanting to price check. Yeah, I don't want to answer questions. I want to see your product. Yeah, they're considering other platforms, but won't say who. High quality impact questions that resonate with buyer concerns. Cool. So we're definitely going to get to get to all of those things today. So I want to share my screen again real quick, and then we're going to dig into the uh, the content. Uh, so I want to give you an example. This is very typical. This is a very typical type of rep that we work with in our programs. And uh, Daniel Coopersmith, I want to give him a little shout out. He's been crushing it lately. I uh, just closed a decent sized deal, 105K deal. And uh, one of the things that Daniel uh, struggled with at the beginning was the concept of how do I take my platform, which helps investors and LPs and all these other folks figure out what the best investments are going to be and like kind of de-risk their investments. How do we take all these fancy features and all this other kind of stuff that we have and how do we attach to business outcomes, right? So that we can have conversations with the C-suite and with senior VPs versus having conversations with people that are using the product every day. And one of the things that we had talked about that was really, really good is this first part that I want to dig to. This was really key for him was this concept of insight sharing, okay? So I'm going to share a document with you guys here in a second that you'll get to take home with you. But this concept of insight sharing is interesting. And what I want to ask you guys here is what value does the buyer get from your discovery conversations? The answer I'm not looking for here is they get to check out my solution. They get to see what my solution does. <laughs> That's not, don't, let's not go with that answer. What value? So another way of asking this question is, if the buyer chose not to do another call with you after that, what would make that call worth their time? Let me know in the chat. And if you guys could be specific, when you say industry insights, what, what kind of insights? What kind of insights? Let me know in the chat. Yeah, Sam says, we often provide documents and market research for salaries and roles that we recruit for. And by the way, if you feel like your buyers don't get any value from those intro conversations that you have from the discovery conversations, put none. That's okay too. House, so Jack, that's a really big one. So Jack Swart, we're definitely going to dig into that. How similar companies might be gaining a competitive advantage. Yeah, Jeremy. So uh, you could, if you combine disco and demo in the same call, what do they learn during that entire call? What do they walk away with? Yeah. Okay. So before we get into this, it's going to be the first framework that we dig into. The key idea here is that discovery has to be a give and take in order for buyers to willingly participate. So there's this common misconception that if we just ask a bunch of questions and we don't do a lot of talking and maybe we don't even do a lot of pitching, that people are just going to be really responsive to the 21 questions that we have for them. 
right? I don't know what your guys' experience has been, but that's not been the experience uh, uh, for me personally or with the reps and sales teams that I work with. Um, buyers are, are very reluctant to answer questions if they don't feel like it's going to be worth their time. So this tactic that I'm about to show you, this is something that you can apply during any kind of sales conversation that you're having. And it's a way to add value to buyers during discovery conversations by guiding them. So I want you to think of yourself like a guide. You're guiding the prospect through a transformation, okay? They're here. They want to get there. You're the glue that's going to like keep the, the boat together or whatever analogy you want to use that's, uh, that's going to get them from where they are to where they want to be, okay? So the first thing I want to walk you through, and let me open up the document here. Let's take a look at what this framework looks like, okay? All right, here we go. Cool. So uh, I'm not going to drop it into the chat yet just because it tends to be pretty pretty distracting. I will drop it into the chat here in a bit so that you guys have access to this document, but this is what you're going to walk away with. So there's insight sharing, value-based discovery framework, discovery loop, all that kind of stuff. So let me zoom in. All right, insight sharing, okay? Let's talk about what an insight is, all right? And let me actually move this down. We'll get this out of the screen. So an insight is something that is non-obvious. So for example, I can't say, um, hey, to get better at discovery, what we're finding sales teams do is um, they uh, they attach to business priorities. Yeah, cool. You know, people are like, uh, yeah, dude, like we got it. That's that's not an insight. That's That's sort of an obvious thing that most reps know and most sales leaders know that their teams need to do, right? So the second thing is it needs to be evidence-based. So the insight must have some sort of proof backing it up. Customer stories and third-party validation are the most powerful, in my opinion, and it needs to be actionable. So it needs to be actionable enough for the buyer to socialize this internally at their team and with other stakeholders. So I'm going to give you an example of a way that you can put together an insight. And this is something that I use with the sales leaders that I speak with. So the specific problem my solution training and coaching in this case solves is account executives don't self-source enough pipeline for the sales org to hit target. So how does my solution solve this problem in a unique way or with a different approach? Instead of doubling down on training AEs, which is common, that's what most organizations will do, we focus a lot of our efforts on frontline managers to effectively train and coach run structured power hours, create a self-coaching culture where reps start to score their own outbound efforts. What evidence supports this? Hey, we had a customer that did this and got really great results. How can the buyer take action? Well, they can focus less on training reps and more on training frontline leaders, okay? All right, so I wanna give you guys a second. This is the part where I would love some interaction and you'll get a lot out of this if you can do this, you know, treat this kind of like a workshop style. Uh, webinar today. Let me know in the chat, what do you feel like your insight could be? So what's a specific problem that your solution solves and how do you do it in a unique way? Let's just start with those maybe first two bullet points. What problem do you solve and how do you do it in a unique way? So Ashley, can you tell me what the tool is? Ashley Black asks, what if your tool is hard to quantify success with? Brian, give that a plus one. Let me know. Uh, what is it that you guys sell? What is it that you sell and who do you sell it to? And I can help you out. But let me know in the chat if you could pick a singular problem and how does your solution solve that in a unique way? All right, I'll give you guys a second to drop this in. 
I'm curious what the group comes up with today. And I'll take a look, Ashley, at what you dropped in here. And Ashley, maybe if you drop in a, a website too, I could I could pull it up on another screen and take a look for you. Yeah, so Kelly says, hold students accountable to properly prepare for their nursing entrance exam. Very good. Yeah, I'm curious what the unique way that you solve that is, Kelly. Yeah. Nate says, building the dev resources you need is going to take more time and more expensive than you expect. This is looking pretty good so far, you guys. I like how specific the problem is. Now, what I'm kind of curious about is, you know, how do you solve that in a unique way? And Ashley, I have your thing opened up here on the side here. Good stuff, you guys. I'll give you a couple more seconds. Okay. So for Ashley and anyone else, if uh, if you find that what you sell doesn't have like hard-coded numbers like this, you could talk about the problem that it ultimately solves. So let's say I didn't have the 42% here. What I could say is I could say, hey, GoGuardian implemented this with your account executives and saw a dramatic increase in qualified meetings booked quarter over quarter. Or, and they no longer had to deal with their account executives not self-sourcing enough pipeline to hit target. So you could be more general in that regard. The other thing that you can do too, let me stop sharing the screen, is if you find that your thing is kind of hard to quantify, it could be the soft costs too. So the difference between hard costs and soft costs is a an example of a hard cost would be eliminating something that's really easy to quantify like a piece of software. So if I was paying $1,000 a month for something that uh, your solution could replace, that would be a hard cost that I could you know, remove uh, and, and save you. A soft cost would be more like um, my solution could help you spend two hours less per day writing cold emails. Cool. So what is two hours of an SDR's time worth and what could they do instead? That's a soft cost. So for Ashley and anyone else that uh, is working on something that's a little harder to quantify, that's a way that you can talk about it is some of the soft costs attached with saving people time, for example. Perfect. Okay. I'm going to keep going. So once we have the insight, now what we can do is ask insight-driven questions. Okay. And let me push this down. It'll be a little less distracting. And again, uh, I'm loving the engagement so far. The more you guys engage in questions that you ask, the more you're going to get out of the session today. Um, as you can see, we're doing this workshop style. So I'm trying to give as much feedback and help to you guys as you're doing this as possible. So the biggest mistake that people make when they ask questions during discovery conversations, and again, I'm going to use this as the problem because this is what I help organizations with, is if I ask a sales leader, hey, what are you doing to get your AEs to self-source more pipeline? Or you know, how are your AEs self-sourcing pipeline? Or what challenges are you having getting your AEs to self-source more pipeline? I haven't delivered anything of value or provided any context around that question. Kyle Acey, who I recommend you guys follow on LinkedIn, I'll drop his name in there. If someone wants to drop his LinkedIn profile in the chat, I'd really appreciate it. Give him a follow. We just did a podcast on this and he's got some great stuff. He's a VP of sales over at MongoDB. And one of the things that uh, he talked about was Essentially, the more context that we give in our questions and the reason why we're asking them, the lower friction that the buyer feels in answering the question. So in other words, people are more likely to answer a question if we give them the reason why. Thank you, Lexi. So instead of asking a naked question like this, what we want to do is pack insight into that question. I know what I have here looks kind of long, but I'm going to say it out loud. You'll kind of get a vibe for 
for how I might do this. So what I want you to think about, the kind of big takeaway here is if you could have one or two of these insights where you share a best practice that one of your customers is using, and then you ask a question around it, you're going to find the conversation really changes and the buyer really leans in. So I might say something like this, you know, AE self-sourcing is a really big priority that many sales leaders we speak with every day are sharing right now. And the most common way, I don't know how you're approaching it, is by doubling down on rep enablement, right? You give AE scripts, templates, and outreach accounts, some training. And oftentimes when I hear this, there's very little change that sales leaders see. One of our clients, GoGuardian, is actually doing something uh, that's kind of the opposite. And their AEs are setting 42% more meetings quarter over quarter by really focusing on frontline managers and enabling them and, and running weekly power hours with, with AEs working it into their one-on-one -on -one agendas, and even getting in the pit and doing the prospecting with their reps. I'm really curious, how does this compare to how you're approaching AE self-sourcing with your team right now? So I taught them something. I taught them something. So software, same kind of thing. I work with a company that helps reduce contact center costs, right? One of the things that we might share there is, hey, a lot of the folks that we talk to are using FAQ pages. And uh, the reason why they are using those FAQ pages, is they want customers to answer their own questions instead of calling in to the contact center. And one of the things oftentimes that people mistake is that they build these huge FAQ pages and they don't have a way to know what's actually working and what isn't. And they don't have a way to detect why the person picked up the phone and called into the contact center. And one of the ways that our customer XYZ is fixing this is they actually put analytics in place to get the transcriptions on the voice calls and the messages. And they're able to detect sentiment from the thousands of customers that call in. And they're able to get all of that at a glance. So they understand the reasons why stuff is happening so that they can build FAQ pages that don't make people call in out of frustration. I'm really curious, how are you revamping your FAQ pages? And, and what kind of insights do you have to know what is and isn't working? Right, so I can pack insight into those questions. Okay. All right. And Manuel asked a question. He said, What if your company doesn't provide any quantifiable data from when social proof, just fake general impacts? How would you word the question? Uh, I would word the question very similarly. So instead of 42% meetings, like I said, you could say, Hey, they're seeing a dramatic uh, reduction in cost to serve, and overall NPS scores are going up. And I'm really curious. How are you thinking about reducing the cost to serve in a way that doesn't affect your NPS? What are you guys doing right now? Okay, so this is the first kind of big takeaway, all right? Insight-driven questions. So I'm never going to ask a question like, what is your biggest challenge with? I'm going to talk about how a current customer is tackling that challenge with your help and how they're doing something unique, the insight, and then I'm going to ask the question. Uh, let me know in the chat, how do you feel like you could use this first part before we dig into the next part? How do you feel like you could use this first part in your discovery conversations? What's your, what's your biggest takeaway so far? How do you feel like you could use insight-driven questions in your discovery approach? Drop it into the chat for me. And then we're going to move here into the next question. Yeah, Joe says, would this be after you do the problem bucket questions? Totally, dude. You can do problem-based questions. You can do priority-based questions, whatever you want to do. 
you're going to pack insight in front of the question. You guys, this, this positions you as a trusted advisor. This positions you as someone that they would want to ask advice from. That's the leg up that we have on all of our prospects is that we have guided people like them through these transformations way more than they have. We've probably talked to their peers more than they talk to their peers. So I want to share that information and that insight. And Kelly says, I don't have data. So this is a way to share in narrative format how we can solve. Absolutely. It doesn't have to have hard-coded numbers in it, you guys. I know that's easy with what I sell, with sales. Okay. Sweet. Sean says, shows you're more of a consultant versus some dude asking questions. You care about them. Yeah, love it. All right. So if you guys got questions, again, drop them into the uh, Q&A for me, and I'll try to get to as many as I can here. All right. So let's dig into the next part. Let me share my screen here. Okay. Part two, value-based discovery framework. So I'm going to go through a three-part framework. And what I want you to think about is uh, these are kind of the principles. And I'll give you in part three, the discovery loop. This will be how to kind of execute it. These are the high-level principles that we want to accomplish through the sales cycle. One of those big things being how to reduce the number of deals that we lose to status quo. So let me know in the chat. If you don't know the exact answer, that's okay. Guesstimate. What percentage of your closed loss deals are due to status quo? So in other words, after the buyer says no to you, they don't do anything different. They don't go with a competitor. They don't change anything internally. They don't decide to fix it with software instead of people or vice versa. Let me know in the chat. <laughs> and by the way, hopefully the stuff you guys are seeing in the chat uh, makes you feel a little bit better because this is this is the stuff that most reps deal with. Yeah, look at that in the chat. Look how high that is. Yeah, keep it coming. Loving the participation so far, everyone. Yeah, so you are not alone. Okay, this is the latest in the Challenger series. Let me know if we got any Challenger sales fans in the house. Let me know in the chat. Uh, this is the recent in the series, the Jolt Effect. Uh, one thing that's just super badass about their work is it's based on literally millions of data points. So they collected calls from Zoom, Teams, and WebEx, I think it was 2021 through uh, the end of 2022, like literally millions of calls they analyzed. And what they found is that depending on the range of the deal size and what people were selling, 40 to 60% of deals were lost to this no decision limbo, this status quo limbo. Number one was the customer's preference to status quo. And number two was an interesting finding. This was the insight was that the customer had a fear of making a bad decision, which is different. Customer's preference of status quo is saying, I'm not really sold on changing. The customer's fear of making a bad decision is I'm sold on changing. I just don't know who the best provider is to help me with that. So goal number one, which we're going to spend most of the time here in this next section, goal number one is to break the prospect out of status quo. Okay, and what we need to do is stretch the gap between where the prospect is versus where they need to be. So if you're getting objections like, this is not a priority, this is not urgent, let's talk next year, let's talk next quarter. If you're getting any kind of stuff like that, it's usually a result of not having done what I'm about to show you. And it's this three-part framework. So let me share my iPad here. Okay, everyone can see the iPad? 
We're cool. Maybe give me like a yes or a thumbs up or something. It's showing up. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Joe says, hell yeah. <laughs> Appreciate the enthusiasm, Joe. Um, okay. So there's three things that we need to do. So during the discovery process and throughout the sales cycle, we need to one, connect, two, quantify, three, lead. Okay. This is where most reps make mistakes. Okay. So with the connect piece, what most people think is what use case, what are my use cases and what use case can I connect with the buyer's needs? Okay. So they do use case selling. Here are the three, four things that we can do. Which one do I think is going to be the best fit? Oh, we have a use case for that. Cool. And we prioritize the use case over everything. What we need to do is take that a step further and not rely so much on the use case. We need to rely on the priority. Okay, there's a stat from Gartner. It's about 92% of B2B buying decisions when they pulled B2B executives, and th th these were people that made billions of dollars of purchases, those purchases were attached to a larger business priority. So priorities are the name of the game. The first, one of the very, very first things that we have to do, and I'm going to give you a framework, like I said, that's got specific questions around this. That'll be part three. The first big thing that we need to do is we need to figure out what the business priority is, what we can attach to. So the big mistake that reps tend to make here is they try to get the prospect to prioritize their solution versus looking at existing priorities and aligning to existing priorities, okay? Big difference. Don't try to get the prospect to think about your solution and prioritize and move it up on the list. Just align. Look for ways to align with existing priorities. We'll talk about how to do that. So two is quantify. Now, where I oftentimes see mistakes here is that people are really good at quantifying what they think the ROI will be, but what's the opposite of ROI? Let me know in the chat. What's way more important numbers-wise? Yeah, cost of inaction, C-O-I. Yeah. Yeah, Leah says, thank you for Valinaries. Focus heavily on use cases. Yeah, let's not talk about use cases. Use cases are, are, are great. They're for later though. I need to talk about priorities first. What priorities can we align with? And Nico asked a great question. What if they don't have bandwidth to add another project to executing their business priority? Yeah, bandwidth, well, we're gonna talk about this, okay? We're gonna, we're gonna talk about how to make the cost of inaction so high that they have no choice. Like they would feel foolish not to prioritize it. All right. So instead of ROI, it's COI, cost of inaction. Okay. Lastly, this is another big thing that I see is in terms of leading, you get into a lot of trouble when you have a buyer-led buying process. Okay. Uh, let me know in the chat, yes or no. We talk about buyer's journey all the time, but let me know in the chat, yes or no, do your buyers actually have a process that they go through when they're buying stuff? Not, not getting it to the finish line. Everyone's got procurement, right? Not like approval of something, but how they actually buy stuff. Like, do the people you sell to actually have a, a process for, hey, we go and find X amount of quotes, and then we do this, and then we do that, and here's what we're looking for, here's our buying criteria, or our decision-making criteria, excuse me. Yeah, dude, we like to think that buyers have these elegant buying processes like we've been taught in sales, hopefully. They just don't. 
right? So counting on the buyer to lead you through their process, like total rookie move, right? The pro move is a seller-led buying motion, okay? When I say seller-led, this is where the trusted advisor piece comes in, where you're coaching the buyer, and this part's super important, on how to get the best outcome. So don't talk about how to buy your solution. Talk about how to get the best outcome, okay? So it's the difference between talking about, uh, hey, with the account executive uh, teams that we work with, uh, one thing I would kind of like, like to walk you through is how they typically get the best results. So how we're seeing account executives self-source 30, 40% of pipeline after they get done working with us versus training, trying to sell them training, right? Trying to sell them coaching, trying to sell them online courses, whatever it might be, okay? So a seller-led buying motion, that's me coming in and advising them on how to get the best outcome that they are seeking, not how to buy my solution, okay? Big difference between those two. You're gonna find that buyers are way more open to talking to you about how to get a great outcome than how to buy your solution. So those are the three pillars. Connect, quantify, and lead. So what I want to walk you through next is we're going to talk about in more kind of tactical terms how to actually go about executing this. And this is where uh, I'm sure a lot of you are going to have questions here. All right. So part three, let's talk about discovery loop. So once we know that we want to connect, quantify, and lead, let's talk like really tactically how this gets executed inside of a sales call. Let me know in the chat, um, for you, we know that it's really important to get alignment with business priorities. Let me know in the, in the chat, what's the hardest part for you about getting buyers to share their goals and their priorities with you? Sometimes what I hear is that they don't know them. They're resistant to share. Let me know in the chat. Yeah, Sean says they can't quantify it themselves. Sam says, I sell the scary leaders. They're the most skeptical persona out there. I agree with you. They're tough. Yeah, look at this in the chat. There's some gold there in the chat. There's lots of stuff in here. Yeah, they don't want to think about it, Kelly says. Okay, so let's talk tactically how to get to some of this stuff. And this is the stat that I shared earlier. It's not 92%. It's actually 93%. So 93% of buying uh, purchases from B2B stakeholders 93% of them are the result of that thing that they bought being attached to a larger org-wide initiative, okay? So what we want to do is a couple things here. Let me share my iPad, and then we're going to dig in here. Okay. All right. So let's talk about the discovery loop. We're going to hop into the worksheet again, and then I'm going to give you like some really tactical you know, one, two, three-liner type of statements that you can use. So there's three things that we're going to do. So after we uh, get a call started with, you know, Sandler calls it upfront contracts. I call them alignment statements. At the beginning of your call, you're going to say something like, uh, hey, before we get started today, um, really looking forward to it. I want to just make sure, do you got a hard stop coming up in 25 minutes? Yeah, cool. We'll make sure that we wrap up before then. Um, one of the things that I really want to dig into today is, you know, why you decided to take the call, what you're hoping to accomplish, specifically your goals and, 
you know, anything that uh, we can help with. Uh, second, we're gonna, I'm going to let you know if, if we're even a good fit to potentially help you out, in which case we'll talk about what next steps might be. Does that sound good today? Cool. Yeah. So after you get through that part, here's what you want to do. There's a series of loops that you want to run. It's three parts. Very simple. Okay. One of the first things that you want to dig into is goals and priorities. So we're going to spend some time looking at goals and priorities. And then we're going to look at current state and problems. And then we're just going to restate and summarize what we're hearing. So my goal, and you might go through this loop two or three different times trying to figure out like what's actually important. What goal can I align to? What priorities? So we're going to go in this loop. And we're going to restate, summarize, and then kind of start over again. Okay. What I'm going to start first with Jan is this piece here, the goals and priorities. So how do we start a conversation at the very beginning and align with what we know to be important to the buyer? Okay. Does anyone uh, here, let me, let me know in the chat, just write the word me. Does anyone here ever run into issues where the call gets started because the buyer just starts talking about a bunch of stuff? And it just goes way off track for like 10 minutes, 15 minutes. And you're like, shit, we're talking about something. <laughs> okay. <laughs> it's like, we're talking about something that does like they're like that we wouldn't even be able to help with. So once you do that alignment statement at the beginning, like I did, um, a really, really good way to. Uh... Yeah. <laughs> Jackie, but rapport building. Yeah. Um, a really good way to start the conversation and to find priorities is you're going to suggest what their priorities might be. You're going to make a hypothesis around what they might be based on all the other people like them that you work with. Okay. So let me show you what that looks like for this first part. Okay. I'm going to use a priority statement and I'm going to say, Hey, based on our work with so-and-sos, they typically tend to be focused on this area, this area, and this area so that I can keep the conversation most relevant for you today. How does that compare to your priorities? So to give you an example, this is how specific you want to get. This is how I start off most calls. Unless the buyer comes in and they know exactly what they want to accomplish, which is not always the case, I'm going to say, hey, let me move this off the screen. Um, hey, in our work with Gong and Medallia, typically they're focused in one of these two areas. Once we're in AE self-sourcing, so they got a bunch of AEs, they need to self-source 30% of pipe, and they're looking to increase pipeline coverage from four to five X versus three. So marketing leads are definitely harder to come by. They have less DR support, et cetera. Uh, two is running tighter sales cycles. So deals are taking longer to close. More stakeholders and new stakeholders are getting involved, like finance, for example. And the focus is on preventing reps from being single-threaded and just running way tighter discovery so that I can keep the conversation most relevant for you today. Um, how does that align with what you're working on? So you see what I did there? So think about the patterns that you see in every single sales call. If you look at the past dozen sales calls and look at the past, you know, maybe half dozen deals that you've closed, you probably aligned with similar priorities. So what this does is it puts up bumper guards on the conversation. Okay. So I want to put up bumper guards and establish kind of, you know, what the, uh, the rules of engagement are going to be. Okay. So uh, Manuel said, I can't remember if you said this is in the beginning. You're going to share this deck. Yeah, I'll absolutely share the deck with you. 
I find it to be kind of distracting if I share it and people are kind of scrolling around and skip ahead, that kind of stuff. So if you can hang on, Manuel, I'll give it to you here in a maybe about 10 minutes or so. Um, okay, so I can put bumper guards up on the conversation and I can keep it extremely focused by just suggesting what other people like them are focused on right now. You accomplish a couple things. One, if you nail that, which oftentimes I've done this enough that I know something in those two statements that I shared is going to resonate. I'm also sharing social proof and the buyer's like, oh, wow, this person talks to a lot of people like me. Okay. So we're going to put bumper guards up on the conversation. So don't ask, why did you decide to take the call today? Or what do you want to get from today? Don't make the buyer do all of that work. They're going to go off on a tangent. They don't even know what you can specifically help with. Provide bumper guards. Next, what we're going to do, this is where it starts to get really detailed. Okay. Now you're going to find how they measure it. And again, let me just, so it's a little less distracting. The first thing that I want to do is quantify. So if you just ask what's your goal or priority, people are not going to give you a very good answer to that question in my experience. Okay. (laughs) So what you need to do is think about Questions are kind of like a garbage in, garbage out kind of thing. If I get a bad answer, it's usually the result of a bad question. So these are some questions that you can ask. And you could preface them like we did before with the insight. I can preface them with an insight. Uh, So instead of saying, how are you measuring the success of this goal or this initiative or what KPIs or metrics are you using? I could say something like this. Hey, I'm really curious. With self-sourcing, oftentimes I hear that sales leaders are looking at a percentage of pipeline that they want their AEs to self-source somewhere between 30 and 50% typically. Sometimes they look at um, the deals that they self-source and they're looking at the average size of those deals and the potential of those deals. Sometimes they look at the number of meetings that reps need to land on a uh, monthly basis. How do you measure this? So I can provide examples of how other people measure it. And again, if I do a really good job of that, they're going to be like, oh yeah, we do it that way too. Or we haven't done it that way. So I can share an insight or potentially look for alignment at the same time. Right? This is one of my favorite questions here. Hey, if we zoom ahead six, 12 months in the future, like what specific outcomes need to happen in order for this to be a success? How will you measure whether or not this initiative was a a success? And by the way, these questions are not meant to just be asked in order. You can use them in any kind of order that you want. You can use one of them, none of them, all of them, whatever you want to do. So the first thing I want to do is quantify. Okay. Next thing. So a lot of you guys mentioned that, uh, hey, sometimes they don't know the answer to the question. And and usually that's an indicator that you're maybe not talking to the right person or that someone more senior needs to get involved in the conversation. The best way to multi-thread is to ask questions that the person you're talking to, they don't know the answer to, and it creates a reason to involve other people. So I love these two questions. So if I'm talking about, again, AE self-sourcing, let's say, I might say, hey, who in the organization really owns the outcome of this initiative? Is that so-and-so? And again, if I've researched and I know who the stakeholders are beforehand, so I think this is a really underrated uh, tip, by the way, is research on LinkedIn and LinkedIn Sales Navigator. See if you can get an idea of who you think the buying group might be, who the stakeholders might be, so you can ask for people by name. It's easier to be corrected than to be educated. 
It's in other words, it's easier for a prospect to say, no, that's actually not Mike. That's Katie that owns this than for them to just do the work in answering the question for you. So it's easier to be corrected than educated. Who else would care if this project wasn't a success? Right. So multi-thread. Now, here's some really good ones. If the prospect isn't really opening up, I like to share this. Hey, you know, I've been peppering you with a ton of questions, John. I didn't give you much context into why. Uh, typically, our customers, you know, folks like Gong and Medallion Zoom, find that when we're aligned with the outcomes that they want to accomplish, it helps us determine whether or not we're a fit. Uh, would it be helpful if I shared how those folks sort of approach and think about this? Cool. Well, when we started working with GoGuardian, they, and then I share the customers for it, right? Another thing that you can do, and this is from Chris Orlob, which I, I highly recommend you give him a follow too. So if you're speaking with a below the line buyer, I, I just love this line that he came up with. Um, hey, I, you know, I imagine your CRO held internal meetings where the outcome was, you know, to like improve ramp time and get reps up to speed faster and provide outbound content and enablement and all that kind of stuff for them. Um, what did those internal conversations sound like and how, how did they lead to this being a focus? All right. So there's some good stuff that you can do there to chunk up to the business outcome. Okay. So that's how I'd recommend before we get to problems, that's how I'd recommend finding out how it gets measured. Ask these quantification questions, multi-thread, ask who else cares about this. And you got a way to kind of troubleshoot if the prospect isn't opening up. Let me know in the chat, what part of this has been most helpful for you? And I'm going to drop this document into the chat. We got one more that we're going to check out. Let me know in the chat, what's, uh, what's, what's actionable here for you? And finding out and using the discovery loop for goals and priorities to get prospects to really open up about what goals and initiatives they have, getting them to quantify, multi-threading. Let me know in the chat, what part of this is most actionable for you? I'd love to check in with you, and then we'll get to problems here in a second. Let me know in the chat, what part's been most helpful for you? What's your biggest takeaway? Manuel says all of it. Yeah, Joshua says the importance of multi-threading and being able to go deep and wide in an organization to engage as many stakeholders as possible. Multi-threading is a topic that uh, I've run in entire webinars on multi-threading too. So that's a, it's a very in-depth topic for sure. Yeah, framing questions. Yeah. Oftentimes when you get, this is not a priority or we're going to push this back or we don't have the bandwidth for this, oftentimes it's because we have not aligned with something that is very important to them. Thank you, Leah. So aligning to an existing priority that is already important to them, that is the biggest thing. Okay. All right. Now let's dig into current state and problem. Okay. So once we figure out from a buyer and they share what they're working on, the next step that we want to do is we want to help figure out like what's the gap between where they are and where they'd like to be. And there's tons of questions again here. Use them for inspiration. I want to get a really good idea of what the current state is. And oftentimes that's as simple as asking, well, hey, how are you making progress on this whole AE self-sourcing initiative right now? What have you tried? What's worked? What hasn't? What options? So I don't know if anyone here uses MedPick. This would check the box of the C, the competitor side. 
Yeah, Jack Sword, I'll uh I'll find it. There's a sales hacker. Here, I'll drop this into the chat. There's a webinar on on multi-threading I did with Sales Hacker. If you guys want to check that out, it's the most recent one I've done. Um, so yeah, what options are you looking to solve? So getting a good idea of what that current state is, this is where it starts to get pretty interesting. So cost of inaction. What's the number one KPI or metric that this is impacting most? This is such a simple just question to ask. When someone says, oh, yeah, we're, we're just having trouble getting our account executives to prospect right now. Hey, I, I hear you. I, I'm curious, like, what's the number one KPI or metric you have that that's impacting the most? Or, hey, many sales leaders measure the impact of this problem by looking at the percentage of pipe that account executives are self-sourcing. This helps them find out if this is a problem worth prioritizing or not. I'm, I'm really curious, like what's the what's the gap look like right now from where AEs are from a self-sourcing uh, sourcing standpoint, excuse me, versus where they need to be? What impact is this having? What, what impact is this problem having on XYZ initiative, right? So cost of inaction, you guys got a bunch of really good, you know, kind of one-line questions that you can use there. And then I want to prioritize. Yeah, Gary, I feel you. Yeah, Gary says, I can look at almost any closed lost op and attribute it back to the discovery stage. Definitely. Me too. Same here. I'm not perfect with this stuff. This stuff happens all the time to me too. Um, so having a problem, I don't know if anyone's seen or experienced this before. You quantify a problem. The problem's really big. It's hundreds of thousands of dollars, millions of dollars. And it's just like you put this information in front of a prospect and they just aren't sold. <laughs> you know what I mean? They just still won't move forward. And just because we have a problem and we quantify doesn't mean it's a priority because there's dozens of problems that those buyers are having in their business. Why does this one deserve most of our attention and budget right now? And that's where you like to ask, hey, this might be a weird question. I imagine you have a dozen different priorities right now. If if nothing changes, like, like what happens? And is that is that even that big of a deal? Why is this important to solve now? I'm, I'm really curious. And get them to like kind of justify why this is important to solve now or tell you why it's not important. And then you actually know what you're dealing with. Yeah, compelling event. Yeah, Mr. Michelle asked, do you like uh, on a scale of one to 10 questions? Yeah, sure. Hey, uh, on a scale of one to 10, one being uh, there's no way we would ever want to work on this and 10 being this is our number one priority. Like, where do you feel like this problem fits for you guys right now and why? Totally. So prioritize. And then again, multi-thread. And again, you guys, I hope what you're getting from this, what I have highlighted here is super important. Don't ask all of these questions and don't certainly don't just pepper your prospect with all of these questions in this order. This is just what you're kind of looking to find here, right? It's just giving you some ideas. And I love these multi-threading questions. Hey, if we fix this problem, who would own the outcome that we could deliver together? Who else knows about this problem on your team? Who doesn't believe that this is a problem? Who's most skeptical about this being a priority? So you could insert a more senior person. So let's say the chief revenue officer is John. Hey, how would John respond to this information? What do you think? That concludes the content for today. So I think the big thing is one, we need to understand with these questions specifically, uh, we need to understand how to get to a goal and a priority. We need to do that quickly. We need to, at the very beginning, set the stage at the very beginning of the conversation that that's what we're going to be talking about. How much more buyer-centric could you be than to talk about their goals? 
And then we're going to talk about problems in their current state. And then we're going to summarize what we heard. Those three things are going to help us connect to a larger initiative. It's going to help us quantify the cost of an action. And it's going to help us lead the buyer through a transformation versus counting on them to lead us. Right? We're the ones that are supposed to do the work. Um, so I have some, some time for questions. We've got about four or five minutes left, it looks like. Uh, so if you got a question, drop it into the Q&A. And I see a couple questions in there already. And uh, I will uh, get to as many as I can. So if you got a question, drop it into the Q&A. All right. Joe says, how would you respond to a boss who says that initial priority statements are too long or wordy? Uh, Joe, good question. So there's actually some really compelling data that Gong has on, um, God, it's specifically for cold calling. I think that they have one for discovery, but it's um, like what they did is they looked at, God, I'm, I'm totally brain farting on the word right now. Um, it's when you, monologues, that's what it is. <laughs> they have some data on monologues and in cold calls, they found that the successful cold calls had monologues in there of like 30 to 40 seconds. So I think the the big takeaway also talk time, very overrated by the way, uh, cold calls, successful cold calls according to Gong have 55% rep talking versus 45% prospect. It's about 50-50 in disco calls and all the challenger data in Jolt shows that Reps speak about 52 to 55% of the time versus prospects. So the whole talk less than your prospect, you have two ears, one mouth. It's like been completely debunked. So the content of what you're talking about is more important than how much you spend talking. So what you talk about is more important than how long you spend talking. So if you only talk 20% of the time in the in the conversation, but it was all about your solution, that's that's also really bad. So Joe, what I would say is like, hey, here's here's what the data shows, but I would just do it and show the like response, show the recording of the sales call of you doing this and the buyer being like, you know, actually, number one, AE self-sourcing, that's that's a big priority for us right now. How do you guys help in that area? Like the best way is to do it, show it in action and show that it actually works, Joe. That would be my advice. Uh, Craig, yeah, Craig, that'll be emailed out afterwards, the slides. Yep, Jim. We shared that. Okay, so Manuel says, what's the best approach if you get the, we are going through an org change and need to table this eval for six to eight months from now? That's a tough one. So where my head goes, Manuel, is who am I multi-threaded with? And what are the goals of that org change? So I'll give you an example because a lot of my a lot of my clients, because I work with mostly software companies, they're going through org changes in the last six months because they've had layoffs. One client in particular is like completely restructuring. Uh, like they're going from like verticalized by industry to like territory based. And like they're going to restructure how the VPs and who manages it and like all of that kind of stuff. So if you understand why they're doing that and what that helps with, that's something that you can align with. But my kind of hunch is that if we're not threaded high enough with, in my case, an SVP or you know someone at that like VP level, I might not be threaded high enough to like continue talking about how this could help with that work change. So if I'm talking to a below the line buyer that's like, hey, we got really busy and we're told not to buy any stuff right now, like I don't, I don't want to take a no from someone that can't give me a yes to use a quote that Ian Koniak uses a lot. 
So that would be my advice, Manuel. I would really look at like, am I single threaded on this deal? Do I have all the people involved in this deal that I need to have? Great questions. We got time for a couple more. Okay, Sam. What's up, Sam? I sell recruiting services for security leaders. Hiring isn't a main priority of yours. How do I really quantify the cost of an action of what I sell? Uh, isn't a key responsibility of the role? This is a great question. So, uh, Sam, what I would think about is less about hiring and what those hires are going to accomplish. I would think like a layer deeper. So with security folks, um, hiring isn't a main priority, but you know what is? Um, detecting vulnerabilities. Uh, the amount of time that their team is spent like burning out and working overtime trying to respond to vulnerabilities. Um, they probably have something on the product roadmap that they're developing that has to get done by a certain time. Like, I want to align hiring and getting you more resources and people to the things that they care about. So when you say, how do I really quantify the cost of an action of what I sell isn't a key responsibility. I'm not going to quantify the, the cost of an action related to hiring. I'm going to quantify the cost of an action of if you don't have more resources, here is what is going to happen. So that's what I want to focus on. Um, and that's all I got time for you guys. I got to run. Uh, appreciate everyone so much uh, for hopping on. Love the engagement. And uh, yeah, we'll see you on the next webinar. So you'll get an email here in a couple of days with a replay worksheet, all of that kind of stuff. And let me share. Let me share that document again. Boom. There you go. Cool. All right, everyone. We'll see you.